Welcome to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Hello, everyone. This is episode two of High Fantasy, and I'm joined again by the two awesome people, Jacob and Colin. Hey, guys. We're back for episode two. Yeah. So, to start off every episode now, we're going to share what we have accomplished since last time. How many words we've written, or how many pages we've written, whatever sense of thing that we accomplished for accountability, for at least the three of us. And maybe other people will tweet at us or something to see what they accomplished, because I love talking to other people. So, um, to start off with myself, I wrote like a 1200 word scene and hated it, so I scrapped it and wrote another like 800 words that have been really, really painful because I realized I don't know how to write combat and I'm writing a combat story. <laughs> so that's been my painful two weeks or so. Colin, what have you done? I did 538 words about a week ago and then earlier today realized that that's not the answer I wanted to go into this podcast with. <laughs> so I wrote about another 1,200 earlier today. Wow. wow. Damn. Yeah. Busted it was it the out. finishing like one scene, and it was like a scene that I've already written two parts of, and I'm like, I'm just gonna finish this stupid thing. Yeah, I kept thinking I need to write more because this is terrible. I need to write more, and then I just did nothing. So terrible me. Yeah, Jacob. Uh, well, since I actually handwrite everything, I don't really have a number of words, but I wrote about 15 pages. Um, added. Introduced a new character, actually two new characters, and starting to get into the whole cyber cyber part of like there's certain people who hate people who use you know cybernetics or uh, or bots or whatever, and like starting to get into sort of that dynamic, and also starting to talk about the um, the government of the the solar system. And why they're bad. Well, not really bad, just sort of douchebags. Yeah. Like, they're not the, like, the evil Conflict. government. They're just government, you know? Sounds like rebel propaganda. <laughs> so, well, uh, so yeah, I, I was pretty happy with what I got in the last two weeks. Uh, but it's been flowing really well, so that's, that's exciting. Like, I haven't had yes. any time where I've just, like, sat down and just couldn't do anything. Like, every time I yes, put pen to paper, it just good. works. So, that's very exciting. I I plan everything out just so I don't have those moments, and I still have those moments because I didn't realize how much I didn't know about military combat. (laughs) So I'm on to research again for the umpteenth time. But on to the topic of this episode. It's kind of a little bit of what Jake was going on to, like, getting into the world of the story. We are talking about world building. And world building is, you know, the general universe that you're working in, and that is why we love fantasy and sci-fi. That's why we have magic, it's why we have different planets, and like robocops and artificial guns and dragons and all the awesome things that draw us to those genres. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm excited for it, you know, it's also, I think one of the things we can kind of get into is sort of world building, sub-world building, especially when you have different planets, you have to rebuild planets and locations over and over again because they're completely different from the place you were at last time, you know, so it might be a fun mm-hmm. topic to try to get into. Yeah. Um, and, but like, 
on the general largest zoomed out scale world building in terms of storytelling is just the themes and the laws of the story that you're working with. So a Jane Austen book also has world building and like you know how the story is going to go by certain laws that she writes by and laws of just the setting that she shows us because all the setting and world building is what it is. So. And I think if a lot of especially like fantasy sci-fi people are honest, we just we write stories because we want to build the world and then just play inside of it. That's really why we write. Yeah, because I want to torture people inside of my pretty little world. <laughs> you're a mean but. woman, you know that? You scare it's me. It's fun! Like, you're the kind of... It's I know this is a little off track, but you're that kind of woman that, like, if you were dating, you'd be a little scared. I, I would I would be scared that you would stab me at some point. Like just that's who no. you are. Oh no, I'm I'm really sweet and caring to the person I'm in a relationship with. I swear. Uh-huh. Anyway, back okay. on topic. Yes. So, like, let's start off with listing all of the different ways that you can do world building, like the different aspects of setting that you can add an original spin to, especially if it is a source of conflict in some way, like. Uh, geography is a big one, especially if you're like sci-fi, you're working with different planets. Is this planet actually livable or not? Are you crash landing on something that's going to kill you in 20 minutes or right. anything like that? You have to worry about geography and terrain and atmosphere and all of those things are definite sources of conflict if you want them to be. Mm-hmm. And so keep uh, listening to my guys. Of, uh, governments, uh, ruling powers, easy one, creates a lot of conflict creates world yeah. uh, resources, especially for like sci-fi dystopia tends to be a big one. Um, yeah, like what is valuable? What is a resource that everyone has and they don't care about? What is a resource that nobody has and therefore they'll pay a lot for, even if we don't consider it very like expensive, like, uh, I don't know, silica. Silica is everywhere. It's basically what the planet is made of. But if they don't have it, then they can't like make glass and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like the governments, like are they absolutely evil? Are they wonderful? Are they saints? Are they wonderful shades of gray that do uncomfortable things for good reasons? How do they get in power? How do they stay in power? Uh, how does the culture affect it? And right, and another another big one is currency, and like it's always fun to kind of shift shift things with that. Because uh, I was writing this zombie story, it didn't go very well, but it was called Blowjobs for Bullets. It was all about how, um, basically, in the zombie apocalypse, bullets are the most valuable thing in the world, so people pay for it. So, actually, the most um, the most powerful people were at were the hookers at the bunny ranch who sucked and fucked their way to a mountain of bullets. And so, like the that's entire story so... is this guy trying to get to Vegas because that's apparently where like the safest place is. And you hit on human instinct that bullets might be the most valuable thing, but that's a blowjob, and that's what I want right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to give up the most precious resource I have for that. And I I did that before I played uh, Metro, the Metro games, because in that game bullets are currency. So I didn't steal that. That was I, that I played that game afterwards. So anyone listening, yeah. going like, "Oh, you stole that?" Like, no, I didn't. <laughs> Well, I mean, that at least makes sense, because I remember in the Fallout games, they use bottle caps and stuff. So, like, who gives a shit about bottle caps? It's like, it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't, like, have a value attached to it the way that our dollar does because of other um, complex things I'm not going to try to explain. Um, I but, like, it has... 
they just leave like you can find soda bottles everywhere that are full that you can drink that then give you bottle caps and it's like well why did no one else take this before me yeah it's like why do you care if it's you know if you can find it anywhere it is strange thing for them to do but i guess it's something that you're going to hand wave away and you're trying to just make a game it doesn't have to be crucially important like the family structure of your planet does not have to be crucial to the story but if it is you need to think about it and you need to make sure that it seems what it should be if it needs to be foreign and alien then you know do it that way do your original spin in some way to it but if it's not important then you can just leave it blank or stick to something that's really familiar and therefore generic and therefore we're not going to really pay attention to it. Our eyes are just going to like glaze over it. And that's world builder's disease in a nutshell. Yeah. World builder's disease and when you have to make everything yeah. detailed and original and you get stuck doing it for 20 years instead of writing a book. Just acknowledge that that's not important enough to your story and you can hand wave it away and the reader's not going to care. Right. Yeah. Move on to the actual writing. Yes. Which is the general theme of any writing advice. It's just actually fucking write it. Um, Which is why after I finish talking with you today, and I'm like, yeah, there's still clearly things to uh, work out here, but I'm going to go fucking write. Good. Um, all right. So more things of culture that we can, you know, delve into way too much is like, how is gender handled? Are they the normal male-female gender type things? Are they equal? Are they very patriarchal? Are they matriarchal? How is inheritance handled between all of this? Maybe they have like four genders and it's completely normal. Maybe they're not even human. In which case, you probably need to get into biology and how do things reproduce? How do they have four genders if they're aliens? And blah, 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 all of this. Right. Just That's something... Sure the gender thing is something I've been struggling with. I'm like... Part, part of me doesn't really want to deal with the whole, you know, like, really... Uh, fluid, gender, gender fluid. Gender fluid things. and all that stuff. I'm like, that just seems like a distraction to the story. I mean, I know for some stories it's very important, but I'm like, <sighs> maybe, I'm, maybe I'm just, like, too worried about, like, PC people coming after me. Like, if I don't do it, people are going to hate me. But if I do do it, other people are going to hate me. So I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Those are some of the things I think about, when I think about, especially in terms of, like, gender and how that works. Yeah. And, and it's interesting when getting into ideas of diversity. Like, if you are on an Earth-like planet, are you going to have Earth-like races in terms of, oh, you have white people, you have Asian people, you have black people, brown people, red people, all of these things. Um, if you have them, you need to probably show them in some way or at least provide a good reason why they're not there for whatever reason. If you're on a completely made-up planet, maybe you don't need to have Asian people. But then there are a few people that are going to be really, really angry that they're Asian brothers and sisters are not shown. It's a, it, it's a fantasy book, not Earth. And that's a controversy that goes back and forth and back and forth. And we're going to talk about it in its own episode at some point. What do you think but, about um, never being specific? Like sort of allowing um, as them to insert the races or, yeah, the races on their own. Like you never really talk about skin color. You never... You, you never assign someone as black or white or Asian. You just kind of allow the reader to place their uh, idea of who they think this person is. That can be very interesting, especially when there's a controversy that comes up from it. Like, I think in Hunger Games, Rue was only described as dark. And then everyone is assumed that black, which is cool. But 
maybe she wasn't actually black, maybe she was Indian, you know? Right. Um, but granted, that story takes place in the U.S., a broken time later, that it makes much more likely for her to be black, and that makes perfect sense. But if you leave it very ambiguous, people are going to project their own things on it. So maybe everyone's just white, everyone is yellow, or whatever. And it's a... Uh, it's an interesting thing to do because you can do that with general descriptions anyway. If you say that is the most beautiful woman alive, they will create their own most beautiful woman and it will be better than anything you can describe. Yep. So there is a very good place to use that. Mm-hmm. But then there's also like people want detail. The people like me, I really want to know how the biology of that alien species works. I want to know how that gun well, has an alien, and then it's a whole other ball game, right? I mean, they're not yes. humans. It's it's a uh, it's very interesting, especially if the idea of like, but the races are just caricatures, and they're all the same. Yeah, and that's like everything is really like you described everything a little bit, and everything is really shallow, and that's a big problem sometimes. Or at least it kills the enjoyment for me when every dwarf is just a Scottish drunkard. <laughs> uh, I mean, Scottish people are hilarious when they're drunk, but <laughs> it's just, you know, like... And then we get sued yes by Scotland. Alex is a racist to Scottish people. Oh, no, it's okay if it's white people. You can always do bad things to white people. <laughs> I should shut up. <laughs> okay, so... Is that vodka? <laughs> no. Should, that's that'd it's be not. fun. Okay, so here, here's a question to pose. What's some interesting decisions you have made in what you're currently writing that has really informed the world? Like, did you make any rules that you're like, okay, this world must be X way and that has changed things one way or the other? I made aliens invade planet Earth in like year 2048 or something. Okay. Maybe 2045, something in there. And then the story takes place in 2070s. So, you know, it's had 30 years or so to stew, and that's the setting I'm starting with. It's changed everything, but I can't describe everything. So, mm. I have spent hours upon hours of the intricacies of the structure of my nobility in my city because it plays a big part of the dynamic mm-hmm. of the characters, and no matter what I do, it just never feels right. Yeah, and that's a problem. Like... Maybe it's perfectly fine, but it just doesn't feel right because it's a construct you made. And that's something I get into as well. But I feel like I, I'm trying to find too many answers that readers aren't going to be asking. <laughs> building disease. Look, we, we're all just nerds here. It. We all know that someone will ask that question. <laughs> but do I care that they did? <laughs> well, that's a, whole other, that's a whole other issue. One of the... Um, interesting things that me and Ryan decided is that we wanted everything to be, even though it's not like a hard sci-fi, uh, we wanted everything to be real, actually have like real scientific underpinnings, the whole thing. And what that did, one, one interesting thing that that brought up for, for, uh, this first book is, um, most of it takes place on Saturn's moon of Titan. And because of that rule, I had to figure out what the sun is like on Titan. And you know, Earth, our sun is as 10th as strong on Titan as it is here. So you have to figure out alternative light sources because they don't have light like we have light, you know? So, mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of theories and stuff about micro suns and all sorts of cool shit. So, like, 
even just like trying to trying to stay with reality makes things different, you know? Yeah, it you can do one small change and it can affect everything else. Yeah. So like and, and so, so it also brings in... Yeah, that's a good thing to keep in mind. Keep going. So it also brings in this whole dynamic of so the really rich planets can build many suns where the really poor planets can't, and so they're in darkness all the time. Or they're, you know, biodomes that, you know, do all this weird stuff. Because if you ever watch a lot of sci-fi, almost every planet has sort of a normal day-night schedule, and that just doesn't happen in reality. Yeah, especially when you're talking about something that's a different size than Earth, and therefore they're going to be going faster or maybe slower, depending on how fast they're spinning. Right, and, well, or a moon, yeah. you know, so it's where how it sees the sun is different because it's got to go around. the. So it's got two rotations it's got to deal with, the rotation around the planet and its own rotation. Mm-hmm, yeah. And I always like those uh, kind of fantastical sci-fi images that you're standing, if you see the terrain of one planet, and you see like three planets, up in the background, and like, I don't know, those are always really, really fun. And I have no idea of how to do a story that actually justifies it because I want to make sure that it does seem real. And if I do that, there's no way that you can live on a planet that that's close. Because if you are on something that's really close to Saturn, it's huge, and Saturn's going to be fucking with you. And I don't know how to make that feel right. Yeah. Um, those planets would have probably collided with each other a long time ago. Yeah. Yes. So, kitties, and, don't ever write so about pretty. space. So that's something I have learned writing this book. Don't ever write about space. I avoid sci-fi. It well, takes so much more research. Well, especially because then you have to, like, when you're dealing with travel, you have to start thinking about, you know, if it's going to be How real. How does it work? How long does it take? Not even How that, costly is it? That, and it's also you have to deal with um, orbital rotations. So maybe during part of, Sometime you can actually visit these other planets because the rotations are good, but other times it's so far away you can't. So that mm-hmm. you know, even that little bit, I mean, that really can change the story a whole lot. Being you know, just considering that sometimes you can do this and some other times you can't. I don't. It kind of feels. It kind of gives an old timey feel about you know, it used to take forever to travel places, so people go places for a decade, then come back, and that was normal. So it kind of mm-hmm. gives you that kind of element too. So, have you two yeah, seen and- *Force Awakens*? Yes. Yes. That movie completely hand waved the time it takes for space travel completely away. Yep. That movie has some serious problems. But it's also they also have um, they also have FTL travel. And that, w- once you have FTL, you can really just kind of hand wave. Star Wars yeah. already established their speed of FTL. And then that movie just pretended like everyone's next door neighbors. Right, which is... I mean, okay, to a certain extent, there is something to be said for travel can just be, like, glossed over, time skip it. Just time skip it. Don't describe traveling for half a book. I'm gonna put it down. But it has to still feel like there's a time. If you have a, a... one sentence he falls asleep, the next sentence he wakes up, it doesn't feel like a lot of time, which can be really good for your pacing, or it can be really bad for your pacing. So if there needs to be some a slower part between two action scenes or something, you don't need to fill it with travel necessarily, but you can have something else taking place during the travel, like a really important conversation or something else that's going on. And then we can be focusing on that, and it feels like there has been a bunch of time in between them, 
because we've been reading a bunch of things in the middle. Even if it only took five minutes, you can stretch five minutes to 500 pages. Trust me. <laughs> so it, it depends on execution as well as other things and how you decide to build the capabilities. Um, yeah, it should be a broken jar super fight when we talk about Force Awakens because <laughs> everybody has strong opinions on it, but... <laughs> Except for yeah. me, I don't really have a opinions about it. It's a B plus, and that's about why I really care about it. The, the travel hurt me. The travel was tough. The travel was no. tough. especially when they had things happening yeah. in different solar systems at the same time. Yeah, and then you have to back explain things. It. it uh, Let's go on with the, the list, the convenient list I've set up of what were the schedule. Let's get back to that. So uh, in terms of capabilities and stuff, if you have travel, you need to take care of it. And if you are stuck by horse and carriage, then you figure out how long it takes to actually travel by horse and how big your planet is if you're making your own one because tons of fantasy authors make their own maps and stuff. And then you say, it took a week to get from this city to that city. It's like, is that actually true? Is that how long it would take? Uh, do some basic research in figuring that out and figure out how big your planet is and populations and things like that. Mm -hmm. I had to do a lot of that because um, there's a part that I haven't rewritten yet where he takes a train. So I had to figure out how fast that train was moving to make sure he got there in eight hours, you know, from point to point. <laughs> so like, how, how fast is this train moving? This is sort of like, okay, I need him to get from A to B. Then you go research and figure out how long it takes, and then you kind of fill in the details around that. Yeah, and as uh, part of my story, they get into an airship, and then they travel from Switzerland to the Philippines. How long does that take? How long does it take right now? And how much can I just, like, they're super sci-fi and do even further. So I think it would take, like, four hours using the fastest plane available to the Air Force right now. To get from Switzerland gonna, to the Philippines, damn. Uh huh. In the 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 fastest plane that they have, um, then if, I'm going to cut it down. If you're going supersonic, it wouldn't take that long to get there, especially if you can get high enough. Yeah, it, uh, but if you get higher, then it takes you know more distance to travel. It's a, there's a problem. I, I don't. Know. I have a, a part in my notebook sketched out like how long it would take, I think, and I'm just going to hand it to like half of the time because I want them to be technologically capable of that. Now, it doesn't actually matter to me in the story how long it takes. I just need it to feel advanced. So that's one of the ways I'm showing that they are advanced is by thinking that the travel is really short. Um, yeah, and other things about that. So I'm going to jump back to culture because I don't know what else to talk about right now. Like, How do you have uh, birth and death handled? How do you have coming of age handled? Because like, that's a huge part in uh, an entire genre called YA, is how do you come of age, and what do you do in the age world in the middle of it? You're super um, robotic, Alex. You dies. should probably turn off your video. You're just like super right. robotic. Okay, see if that okay. helps. Okay, Everything start better? over. Yes, it sounds a lot better. Okay, starting off on the culture, how do you handle birth and death? I don't, at least not right now, <laughs> personally. I have not thought about it in the slightest for my story. Mm. Considering you have important people dying, you probably should figure that out. 
But not every culture treats death like a... They all have their rituals, but not all of them are large ceremonies. That's true, but they do deal with them in some way. True. And like, if anything, uh, you could just, like, these people cremate everything so they don't have to deal with the space and leave it at that. And then that's fine. Otherwise, you could just, like, oh, we put him in the crypt. And just, like, a simple thing like that can make it seem much more in-depth. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know. If, if it's important, how, what happens when a baby is born? Do they have a special naming ceremony or... I don't know, a circumcision like Judaism does or blah, blah, blah. There's all sorts like of things. Coming of age rituals and birth rituals seem more in line in societies that your survival isn't guaranteed. It's true. So if you've got an established culture that life is pretty stable, you're not going to put as much emphasis on those rituals. That, I suppose, is true. But even in, you know, Western Earth we have a, an interesting emphasis on high school and going to college, and we kind of view that as a coming of age, even if we are pretty stable. Like, we still have these uh, pedigrees that we use. Just like, yep, I'm an established adult now. So, there's well, always something there. That could have did us. See, I, I mean, granted, since I'm not really totally creating a brand new world, um, I've had this idea and thought that now that uh, information is perpetual, that a lot of humanity sort of gets stuck, um, so it doesn't as evolve as much. So you know, 500 years in the future, a lot of the same institutions are still around, universities, that kind of stuff. So that's kind of how I'm handling that. Yeah, that's a good one. Um. But although the whole EU thing lately, it's like maybe the EU is going to collapse in the next 10 years and then have to no, fuck collapse. over everything. It'll collapse in five, but that's a whole other thing. I don't know. UK will I collapse gave it time. first. To what? The UK will collapse first. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that's actually another part of it seems important to always think of how history is affected in your world building. If yes. you have a magic system, let's say in a fantasy world, how has that magic system affected any of the history? Because this is something that really bothered me in the uh, Avatar cartoon show, Last Airbender, is that, okay, they have these magic abilities. That's cool. And I like what they do with it. But it really felt underdeveloped. And then they did develop in Legend of Korra, in which these people are being able to use their magic abilities to make factories. That's how their factories run, is people doing lightning shit instead of using like electricity generators. And that is what I was hoping for in Avatar because it just felt underused. They didn't progress and let the simulation develop and see what comes out of it. They just kind of kept it in its baby stage. And it bugged me. So it's like, if you have this thing and you have it established that it shows up here, then it's going to affect it all throughout history. And, and if it doesn't, then you need to really explain why. Because then you get into issues of like medieval stasis trope in which everything is medieval Europe even a thousand years later when, you know, technology progresses. Or even if, you, like, your initial magic system could make you surpass medieval technology instantly and yet for some reason no one has thought of that application. Yes, and the, you need to explain why or take care of in some way that it's not going to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, in Mistborn, Sanderson handled that as, like, 
there's the Lord Ruler who is like the most powerful person and he keeps it in medieval stasis because he's just kind of that way. And that's why they've stayed the same way for 500 years, a thousand years. And he knows the danger of not keeping it that way? Spoiler alert. But, um... I was yeah. going to say, um, I know I trashed on Assassin's Quest last time as much as I like the Farseer trilogy overall. But the magic in that system is very simple. The things they can do with it, and just the site or whatever they call it, it's been a while since I read it. And yet, she shows you how such a basic magic system can basically turn the tides and like they all get the application of it as simple as it is and they use that to its maximum potential and that makes them militarily stronger than they should be. Yeah, that's a good way of like they did one small thing, but if you use it really well, then you can have like really big changes. And that was a very good example. Um, there are examples of people doing world building in a kind of, it's like everything has something original on it, but it's very shallow, kind of like I was saying with avatars. One thing that bugged me in the Stormlight Archive of Sanderson's is the idea of showing your left hand as a woman past puberty age is immodest. It's vulgar. So that everyone, if you're highborn, they have like a sleeve that just goes way farther than your hand and you're not supposed to use it for anything. If you're lowborn, then you like use a glove to cover it and you still go about your work. But there is no explanation as to why a left hand is immodest. Is that the one that you jack off your husband with or something? I don't know. But, but you're also applying like... me crazy. There, there's certain things that are considered immodest in today's society that really have no business being immodest, you know? I mean, for the I mean, most part, it's the parts that are sexual, not your left hand. Or it was just the more you're showing, like, we initially considered anything really visible as provocative, and we slowly pushed our boundaries. Yeah, so, so it seems like hand? current day, it's just, you know, the actual sexual parts. But it, just the left hand, it didn't make any sense, especially when you have a right one on the other side, it should look pretty much identical. But it's just an odd thing that, you know, there are certain things in society you just can't explain. They just are, you know? But he didn't explain it, and it felt wrong. But I swear Sanderson falls victim to his own trope of um, an ocean an inch deep a lot of times, yes. especially in Stormlight. He contradicts himself in that is exactly what the so left hand thing in his world and yet half the time he just kind of skips out on explaining things and like yeah, the whole and, yeah. the major world um kolar whatever that yeah something like that like, in the stormlight archives we never see a major culture in action because they're all too busy at war like the only time we ever see the major countries are they're on the shattered planes fighting so all these established cultural things we never see in their regular practice, so we don't get the context of them sometimes. So, I mean, I think he just goes for too much at once, but at the same time he's writing a, cult, a story where you're learning the culture out of its own context, so that can also be confusing. Yeah, it, it, did, it was interesting that he showed how the culture was changing because they'd been at war in a certain area for so long they basically created a second capital. In fact, it had more people than the original capital because they had so many soldiers there. And then 
he did the cool thing with his magic system of explaining how he could feed everyone there, which is, you know, the magic system affecting your world building is huge, and I don't know, skip that, yeah. hold that a little bit. You really cut off the entire importance of the rest of your nation if you can self-provide supplies. Yeah. Yeah. And all of this is a good point for conflict. Um, I'm going to skip to something that we haven't really mentioned, is a language. In the, some part of the world building is the language that people are speaking. Like, if you like, everyone is speaking gobbledygook, and then just leave it at that. That's cool. Or you can have conflict in that everyone's speaking a different language and no one can talk to each other. And then what are people's names? Is everyone just like Bob, Jared, John, Chuck, things that are normal? Standard, slight yeah. change. Yeah, or they the, keep them consistent with each other because it, things of the same culture should feel the same consistency. If you are making all of them up, then they should feel like they belong in the same culture language. Or you can have things really alien and you know show everything that you want with all of it. The names of places are really good as well, especially like if you think of things named in English, it's like High Cliff. It's really simple. It's a descriptor. But if you hear that in German, I have no idea what the German is, it sounds so much more alien, and it's cool. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also, like, that affects the words you choose in the prose, because if you use a word that they would never use, then it's going to stand out and jar the reader. Yeah. One last thing I guess I want to mention before we talk into uh, magic system specifically is how is warfare handled? How is military structured? Uh, it, depending on the kind of time frame you want to model after, like Roman legionnaires are going to be modeled after Roman times and their capabilities. And then there's also, like, if you want to push it forward to Napoleonic times and all of that, how do you do it? And you can use these models, you can make them up on your own, but it's something that's big, especially since so many stories involve war. And then if you're doing like futuristic things, like what I'm doing is I'm taking what I know of modern things and then just to kind of sticking with it, sort of. Then, uh, so how do magic systems affect world building? Actually, and I want, all the things that we mentioned. Before we get really into magic, I want to bring up um, technology, maybe, a bit, because <clears throat> in certain stories, technology is basically used the same way as magic, right? So mm -hmm. one of the things I've been kind of dealing with, and I would like some opinion in terms of world building, is the so especially for things that tend to happen in the future, there's this idea that technology all. Um, Every type of technology increases at the same rate or same pace. So uh, what do you think about the idea, maybe you can do this with magic, of certain technologies outpacing others. So you get to mm -hmm. a point 500 years in the future where you, know, you have nan you know, nanites, but other things are still not nearly as advanced as that. Because if you look at certain things like cell phone technology in the last 15 years has you know, gone crazy, so has TV, but there's other technologies that haven't. I mean, an com internal combustion engine is still just an internal combustion engine for the most part, you know? So uh, what do you think about, like, m movement and changes in, like, tech and magic that don't always um, pace with each other? 
I mean, I think that's a, an interesting aspect of something to choose to do is, especially in any way that you want to build conflict out of it, which is the point of the story. But if, for example, you have one system that is very offensive and the kind of corresponding system that's very defensive, you can have a, an interesting situation, hypothetically, that the defensive progressed so much more that the offensive became obsolete. So everyone has expert defenses to the point that it's better to just bash each other with a stick than do super magic offense because everyone's already defending against it. And it can be neutralizing in that way. Or if the defensive never works and then offensive is so disastrous that, you know, wars change very differently. And I like when you have a disparity like that, especially if you show a different subsection of people or cultures that excelled in different ways and like the different prowesses between those subsets. It's a good way of showing culture and I think it's a very human thing to do in the way like real life thing to do. It's like I can't imagine the uh, progression of cell phones. Smartphones is just kind of mind-boggling and I don't know how it could possibly get better and I don't know how other people who are creating them can think if they possibly get better. So I think at some point you're going to hit like a wall of how awesome they can be. And it, it makes perfect sense to me that something's just kind of kind of reach its point and stay there. Right. Yeah. And that's, so that's kind of something I've been dealing with um, in trying to, trying to get my head around is, okay, what do I want to progress and what do I want to be lagging behind? Yeah. You know, cause there is the idea and I think you could even do this with like a magic system um, where certain abilities are really progressed by people. Um, if you think of it as sort of like a martial art, so like people think that the Kung Fu magic is a lot better than the Muay Thai magic. So <laughs> no one really studies the Muay Thai magic, but then you have this one person who's really great at it and just sort of upsets the apple cart yeah, in that way. So that, that would be a really interesting world building thing to do with magic, I think. Yeah, and there's also, like, everyone is stuck in one system, and then someone with something completely different comes in and can obliterate them because it's something they've never seen before, which is kind of what happened with Mongolian invasion into Japan. Well, like, 12 Mongols made it to Japan, but they kind of obliterated the Japanese soldiers because they just fought more viciously. And, you know, take things from history that you think are cool, add it into your own thing with your spin on it, and that's a good way to get situations. Right, right, exactly. So that's something I, I've been thinking about and trying to get some uh, some stuff on. Yeah, but basically do whatever you want to do. And if anything, maybe you need to go back and provide reasons. But, you know, write the story that you want to write. You don't need to work everything to its last detail and then you get the ocean an inch thick that Sanderson can fall into as well as anyone else who's not paying attention. Um, Fair enough. Right. So, on to magic systems. I mean, we're not talking about how to build a magic system here. We're talking okay. about how it affects like, the world building and the history. Like, if you have the ability to make a dot on a wall, what is something that you can do with that? And Sanderson's uh, third law, I think it was, is expand what you have before adding something new. So how many things can you do with the ability to make a dot on a wall? Like, if anything, if it's permanent, then you don't need painters anymore. Everyone just has the dot ability. 
maybe only one person does, in which you have painters again, whatever. If well, you have the ability, really rich painting. Yeah, if you have the ability to uh, like, it's uh, an infinite magazine. Then bullet people are probably going to die, you know, bullet manufacturers. <laughs> and it's all really important, especially if like, does magic have a cost in fuel in finances? Does it cost money to do magic? Or do, yeah, or is there some kind of focus? Um that is needed to do it and that could be an extra cost too mm-hmm. you know sort Can of in, make money right but like in the harry potter world they all have to have like wands and shit right yeah Where is or that? it it's like it's with dresden at least then you have it just costs personal like energy in which you know you need to sleep at some point eat a good meal and then go back to fighting and that's a good fuel that you need to talk about as well um, or you Same can thing. make money. Say again, Colin? Same thing with Wheel of Time. Of uh, Not only are you limited in your magical ability, but you're also limited in your physical fatigue. Mm-hmm. I kind of like it when you run up to the point, if I do anything more, it's going to kill me because, you know, tension, make my characters suffer that way. Did That's Harry Potter put any... <laughs> was there any limit on Harry Potter magic? Not that I, I don't, can remember. Yeah, I don't Just, think so. It, I mean, if there was, it was like this important. You know, it was like super not important because it really didn't come up at all. Mm-hmm. They also couldn't do unbelievably amazing things constantly. Yeah. Which has been an interesting thing, like... So they show time turners in the one book that they're important, and then they never ever talk about it again, even though it could fix everything. Like, so we can't go back and save someone. We can't, uh, you know, change history for the better. Uh, but you can take extra classes. Yeah, that's fine. Which is just kind of absurd. But it's something that kind of had a problem within Harry Potter is the fact that why can't they use this? Why won't they use it? And it felt like they didn't explain it perfectly and then in the fifth book they just destroyed them all and took care of them that way it's like okay now you're not able to but still wait they destroyed all the time turners in the fifth book yeah when they're running around order of the phoenix stuff it's um at the end they're all destroyed interesting that's when i quit that's when i quit reading was the fifth book (laughs) oh that was like my favorite i think I don't remember. I can't do J.K. Rowling. She just drives me up a fucking wall. Just, just listen to Stephen Fry's audiobook. Of no, it. no, I, I did. That's how I did Harry Potter was those audiobooks. And by the end, like, it took everything in me to get through Goblet of Fire, which is my favorite one. But I was like, just shut the fuck up, woman. <laughs> so, going and going. But, yeah. I'm just looking at the wiki. Uh, um Obviously, it's a time travel thing, so they're very hesitant to use it for the obvious. Let's not get into time travel conversations. Yes. It's impossible to deal with. Also, apparently, uh, in the fifth book, they accidentally knocked one of them over, and it therefore brought the entire room into a time paradox of endless looping on its own. So it just oh. got stuck. Why, I don't, wait, why didn't she time. mention that in the book? Because that's hilarious. <laughs> I know. What? Uh, I like those things. I like kind of messing with time and 
it's, uh, it's a very good way of doing a very small change that affects everything if you don't want to actually world build everything else. Oh, you keep it says it. it was mentioned in the in that book, but I don't know oh. when. Probably at the that end. Hilarious oh, stuff. Yeah. Alright. Um, so, going back to magic, if you have the ability to make something explode, guess what? You're going to get drafted by the military, probably, or it's going to be used in some way. It's going to be used in warfare, and you need to explain all of that. Or Philmanophist. Yes, Philmanophist is pretty good at that. Um, or just like uh, Codex Alera, if everyone has the ability to do magic, then how do you use it with strategy? I think he did a really good job showing how the Furies are used in a siege in, I can't remember which book, but like, okay, the water people are putting water into the cracks of the walls and then they're going to freeze it and try to make it bigger and like may actually bring the wall down that way, which I thought was so cool. And uh, he thought about it. It was wonderful. And he took like the idea of Roman roads being so effective and then made a new explanation for why they're even more effective than they were. Yeah. And Codex Lair is pretty good. Jim Butch is really good at what he does. <laughs> I can't make it. It was so bad. The first three books of Dresden struggle, but just get by them. Oh, I, no, I love uh, Stormfront. I mean, it's still a top three favorite Dresden book for me. Love no, Stormfront. No, just, Absolutely. But you can't it. get through Codex Alera. No, I, I think it's the reader. I think it's the issue. Like, because I, I, I pretty much all all the books I read are audiobooks. So if the reader sucks, I just can't get through just, them. Just read it on Kindle. Just, you know, just do it that way. Trust me. It's awesome. Maybe. Uh, I'm still trying to get through uh, the new one. Um, crap. What's. Sinister Fires, yeah. Still haven't gotten to that. God damn it. Mm. <laughs> I'm in the middle. I know, I'm trying to write steampunk, and I haven't read any steampunk. You need to just read that one, because it's good. It's, it's like, not steampunk. That is good steampunk. It's, steampunk. Not, steampunk. it's, it's, it's not steampunk. It has airships. This is, the, like, the definition of steampunk. No, there's <laughs> there's no steam. <laughs> You've got to have steam to be steampunk. Well, they have, like, the... the um, the crystals and the electricity and yeah, that's what I mean, do. it's so definitely like sort of like steampunk-like, but it's not steampunk. It's steampunk. It's not steampunk. Uh, because apparently, you know, if you're doing world building in some way, you're also going to fall into genres based on it. Uh, stay aware of that. You know, you can have magic and sci-fi because I'm totally gonna, but it, you, people are going to want to classify everything, like we were talking about in episode one. And, and don't. Don't be afraid to fall into a genre. Some people want to like transcend and do all this other stuff. It's like, well, look, there's a genre for everything. Just embrace it. And if you need to embrace some of the tropes, you know, sometimes it helps you actually do that. Yeah. You know, tropes are totally good as long as you explain them, because otherwise they just feel cheap. Like, why medieval stasis? Oh, Lord Ruler is forcing it to stay that way. That's fine. And tropes are good because they sell. They became tropes. Because that's what sold often enough that it became known everywhere. They're classics so. for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's totally okay to just fall back on a trope, especially if you're writing a short story in which you don't want to spend a lot of words describing something. Just, like, it's an inn. Everyone fills it in on their own thing, and it's fine. And it can be the classic fantasy inn, and it's perfect. It's just be aware of it. Make conscious decisions of what you're doing. That's a, a big thing, I guess. Just 
know what you're doing when you do it, even if you don't know how to do it, I guess. Uh, right. So I agree with that. So what are some, I mean, we talked about like how to do some of this stuff. What are some of the more fun things? Like you're talking about like changing that one little thing that can change your entire universe. Like what are some of the more fun things you can change to, uh, you know, spice up your universe? Uh, I think religion is a big thing because like recent thing of Game of Thrones, like the bad guy is apparently the religious guy and I hate him. Uh, it, it can be um, stereotypical, like the religious guy is the bad guy, woohoo, and then the religious guy is the good guy, like Michael Carpenter. Um, you can, I don't know, you can do a ton of things with it, but the culture that the religion shapes can have a lot of weird aspects to it with pretty much every part of culture, like uh, birth and death and how they do burials and what they pray to, what they swear as. Swear words are huge, and I don't know how to do them well. It's because no matter how you do them, they always tie into religion, and then you find yourself building a whole new religion just to justify the swear words. And that's <laughs> fine, I guess. Just write your damn story. But, okay, there are some times that I love Sanderson's writing. There are some times I hate it. And it the storms as a bad thing, his curse word that he uses constantly, I can't do it. I would somewhat say that the less common, like the less realistic your things are, like he makes perfectly fine justification for using the word storms as a curse word. It but when it's backwards. But when it's not a natural, like when it's not something that's innately earth-like and something that he has to explain, don't use it as often as he does. Yeah, he uses it a lot. But, I mean, I think in a different story, which I haven't read, he uses colors, or was that Warbreaker? I don't remember. Okay, Warbreaker, I think, was my favorite of his, just because it was the most polished, and it was so pretty in my head. But, um... When you do curse words, make them feel real, which is one of the things I think Codex Lyra did awesome, is that he just talked about crows, because they're carrion eaters, they show up on the battlefield, and they're bad things. They show up and people die, and it felt real, and the way he used it was good. He also used, like, fuck and shit and whatever, which is nice. Um, <laughs> it feels real when they do the real words, you know? Obviously. Um, I... I in the fantasy story I was writing, I had no idea what to do as a curse word, so I just made up some shit, and I'll keep it in there until I fix it later. There's nothing wrong with that. And it never felt real, it did, because I realized a couple days ago I never built the religion even though I needed to. Because that gives a justification for swear words, like Colin said. Because it never ends. Yeah. <laughs> I like Malazan did something where, like, he'll drop the F-bomb every once in a while to tell you that shit is serious. But at the same time, most of his curses are things that are illogical to say. So, like, he'll take the random gods and then curse at their balls or their attributes. And since they're gods, like, they don't actually have balls. And that's the whole point of making the joke is that these things don't exist. But at the same time, when he really wants to make the point, he'll just go back to a regular swear word that we recognize and realize, okay, now it's now we're serious. Yeah, that's a, a good execution in that way. Like, if you can use it 
as like, this is the marker that you're going to pay attention to, so I'm going to use it. It's a good tool in whatever you do. So when Michael Carpenter says, God damn you, you son of a bitch, I pay attention. But, um, so what's a fun thing for you, Jacob, that you like to build? What, what do you mean? Oh, like you're asking us, like, what's the fun thing that you, you build the world like, to, to mess with? Oh, uh... I'm trying to think, you know, I've tried to do different things. Um, I would say right now, one of the more fun things that I'm building and like changing is um, what we think about like robot technology, like robotics technology. You know, like um, I have in the second episode that I wrote and never published, you know, I have like fluid tattoos. So it's like yeah. ro robots, you basically nano nanites that sit on top of the skin. And so you can have like programmable tattoos that flow and do crazy things. And, and so that, that's been fun, like playing with like robot, like the nanite technology and thinking of like the weir really weird shit you can do with it. Cool. Because uh, if anything, fluid tattoos, just like, I want to look like this today. Right. Cool. So, like, like at least in this sto in the story I wrote that again never got published. Um, you know, she the the girl in the episode because there's always a girl. There's always a girl. That's just one of those things I know about me when it comes to writing. There's always going to be a girl. Um, she's got like, you know, she's super rich and she can afford like five programmable designs. And so, like, when they were implanting her. They, um, you know, she could pick five designs and they would program the bots to do those things. Interesting. That's unnerving. <laughs> What's unnerving? <laughs> Something on my skin doing its own thing. Well, yeah, because well, if you actually see a mole, like, start moving on you, it's a yeah. cancer. <laughs> <laughs> but in this world, you know, a lot of people have bots. Uh, you know, nanites of some kind. So there's like medibots and all sorts of other stuff. So it's it's a normal day to day thing, which may or may not actually happen. But it's you know, in this story, it's a normal everyday thing for people to have bionic eyes, arms, legs, whatever, or nanites, depending. So, Colin, you share something. Something I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. I spend way too much time in political machinations and character relations. So I built my entire nobility structure around the idea of these people not getting along and what that would look like on a hierarchical scale. So I built the nobility, the important ones, and then knew ahead of time that I wanted them to fight with each other and how much of an impact would that have on the world if their leaders are constantly infighting. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. You know, because I like working on people's relationships so I can torture them. Like, <laughs> you are so evil. It's oh fun, God. though. I mean, like, you really care about your brother. I'm going to put your brother in danger and leave you to have a panic attack. You yeah. stop reading so much Jim Butcher. That's just all there is to it. You need to read someone who's like nice to his characters. I don't read anyone who's nice to his characters. 
I couldn't like, be someone nice to their characters. <laughs> okay, uh, we're we're getting close to our hour, so I think I'm going to throw out one more question, if you all mind. All right. What's some? We've all had issues building worlds and doing all these things we've been talking about. So, what are some pitfalls you've seen, and sort of ways to get around those pitfalls when world building? Alex? A pitfall, I guess, is not actually making it original. Like, if you just have a story you want to tell and the setting isn't important, then in some way make it important to the story. Like, I wanted to have a story in a flying city, so I better make the plot connected to the fact that it's a flying city. Because otherwise, it's just like, why did you put it there? Why didn't you put it on, like... Earth. Uh, it's like I want there to be a connection to the world building, to the story. You know? Right. Uh, yeah, it kind of reminds I tried to, don't laugh, but I actually tried to write like a legit romance novel once. Didn't go so well. But it was very important that it was the winter. You know, like a lot of things. Uh, I mean, it was just a you know, normal, you know, somewhere in the U.S. kind of story. But it was really important that it was the winter because it drove a lot of the choices of the characters. Yeah, that's good. Uh, uh, Colin? Um, I was going to go off the same thing. and Also, with Sanderson's air on the side of awesome, <laughs> not every fun world-building idea you come up with has a place in the story. And oftentimes, I find myself adding things that are conflicting with each other just because they sounded cool to start with. So sometimes... As much as I hate world building disease, you just gotta sit back and take a knife to the parts of your story and find out which parts actually contribute to the plot and which parts are just you trying to have fun and acknowledging that sometimes they don't work. Yeah, uh, you reminded me of something. And also, I think you're talking about killing your darlings instead of world building disease. And that's something that we're gonna spend a lot of time on because it's important when you're trying to build a good story. But in a panel I watched that involved uh, Jim Butcher, Pat, Roth Pat Rothfuss, Mike Cole, Sam Sykes, and some other woman, I can't remember. Um, they're talking about world building, obviously, and Rothfuss said, it applies to romance too, or erotica. If you can tell that the author started to touch themselves, they went too far. And, you know, be aware of that, and uh, tone it down, at the very least, in your revisions and your edit. Does Quoth ever come, ever really face uh, consequences? He faces consequences all the time, so they're just not always bad ones. Yeah, I think I'm really hoping in, uh, what's it, Doors of Stone? Yeah. That Quoth actually, well, that Rothfuss cuts his darling. Which, I mean, uh, I think he gets a lot of shit because we don't know what he's doing yet, but I think Doors of Stone is going to be uh, really terrible for Koth, and it's just going like, to... Whenever that comes out, we'll see what he's actually meaning to do, because, like, otherwise the girl, I don't remember her name, uh, the D, Denna, Denna, I hate Denna. Oh, Denna. I despise Denna. But I have a feeling there's going to be a point that I'm going to be sympathetic to her, because otherwise he wouldn't make her quite so hateful. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, um, you take, uh, what's his name, Scott Lynch, and 
I don't think there's anyone short of Harry Dresden who faces as much bad luck as Lock the Maw. He just gets shit on. I need to read those books. I read the first one, but not any of the other ones. And that's a very good story in general, I'll suggest to anyone, which is very high fantasy. It's very uh, kind of his own method of doing urban fantasy and his own story, which was great, and it's hilarious, and he's witty, and it's really good. Um, Yeah, if you need a high fantasy example of a main character who doesn't win every scenario constantly. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, Yeah, and the the magic system in that was hilariously unimportant until it was. (laughs) I mean, like, it hinges on a simple truth at one point, and you believe it to be real until it's not, and I'm not going to spoil anything. And don't spoil the witty line either, because it (laughs) was spoiled for me. Oh, yeah, that's a good... I don't care how long that book's been out. That's a book that deserves to be read unspoiled. Yes, specifically because just because I knew what the line was, I got to see the entire setup. You need to go into that thing blind, and you can see how to pull off a really good joke. <laughs> humor is bad, and we need to talk about humor as well. <laughs> yeah, for for me, the one thing I would tell people is it's something I learned the very first paper, you know, not you know creative writing paper just paper in general i wrote in college is at some point you just gotta stop (laughs) like you 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 can you can work yourself to death and fret over every little detail but you know what it might be an a it might be a b but it's not going to get that much better sometimes you just gotta just gotta put it you know turn that paper in and move on so that's that's what i feel like with all especially just writing in general it's like just do it just get your writing going. Just you know, don't don't fret over every little detail. Those you you can fix all those details in post. Yes, and hold on to that idea of post because that's you have to be able to revise things, especially if you have to kill your darlings or uh, figure out reasons why world building happens or plot things happen and explain the world building things that you've chosen. And sometimes you need to take a lot of time in between your revisions so it does it seems new to you. So you get to go back after you've forgotten everything you've done and learn it again. And you get to see, did I show this enough? Did it make sense enough for it to go? And it's important that you go into it as much distance as possible. So are we done? I believe so, yes. All right, it's time to plug everything because otherwise Alex will yell at us. Uh, let's see. Uh, broken jars broadcasting at gmail.com. What's the Twitter, Alex? Uh, broken jars pod for bro- the broken jars Twitter. Right, broken jars pod. There's the high fantasy Twitter. Uh, yes. H I underscore fantasy underscore. Yes, we have um, broken jars broadcasting on Instagram, YouTube. Um, if you like it, we probably have it. We've got a gaming podcast. We're about to start a nerd culture podcast. We've got a podcast about the show The Office, which is amazing. Uh, that's with yours truly and Jay Ray. Uh, we have the 42 podcast, which is me and Ryan, which is uh, we kind of talk about everything. So if you want to like come check us out, uh, we have uh, that's Broken Jars at XYZ online. We're on iTunes. We're on Google. 
Did you mention the Dresden Files? Because I don't remember. If it the did. Dresden Files podcast. Uh, which is me. Which, is, her, which is Alex. Uh, Colin isn't on a second podcast yet, but I'm sure that'll change eventually. I'm going to pull him into Dresden since I know he's right at all. <laughs> but that's uh, about as far as plans for that goes. <laughs> but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, so come check us out. Send us email, Twitter. Uh, we're, I know, especially for the high fantasy, Alex is really uh, active on that. If you tweet the Broken Jars one, I will get to you really quickly. Uh, yeah, we would love to hear from you. Ideas, things you love, things you hate, things we should mm-hmm. never, ever, ever do again because it's stupid. You know, all that stuff that people tell us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. So please email us, tweet, tweet at us. Head, you know, comment on our YouTube. Don't really care. We'll we'll talk to you. Yep, we love interactions with people. That's why we record this and put this on the internet. <laughs> Indeed. Well, everyone, say your goodbyes. Bye, everybody. Have a good night. Good morning or whatever. Whatever you're listening to this, hope it's good. Yep. Good. Good time, everyone. Bye. Bye.